Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and it's a brand new season in the top flight. And to mark that occasion, we've came up with a brand new way of doing this podcast because we're still kind of doing the, the social distancing measures. And uh, with that in mind, we didn't this, I didn't necessarily want to have like guests where like three people, it, sometimes it's been fine, but sometimes it's also been a bit difficult with people kind of talking over each other, not knowing when to speak. You can, it's kind of hard to get that rapport when you have, you know, three guys not in the same room. And it kind of, I don't think it, it's, it's best we're just doing kind of question and answer sessions as well. So I've decided to do this instead, which is that I'm going to be on through the entire podcast and we're going to welcome on three of the guys uh, to cover two games each. Uh, so Tony will come on and then we'll cover the Hibs and Hibs against Kamarnock and Aberdeen against Rangers. And I've got Tom Watt on for a couple of games and then I've got Craig Cairns to finish things up. So hopefully that all sounds pretty good and uh, you enjoy the show. Cheers. Right, Tony, we'll kick things off with your team, the Edinburgh Hybies, the men from the Leaf San Siro, Ron Gordon's boys. Struggling mm-hmm. for other nicknames here. Ron Gordon's Republican boys. There here. you go, Republican uh, boys. <laughs> Be, uh, beating Kamarok 2-1 uh, on Saturday, the three o'clock kickoff. Give us your initial thoughts on the game. Um, it, was, it, was, it was quite a... It was a fast start, uh, which I thought was quite brilliant for both teams. I mean, Kilmarnock, um created sort of the, the, by far their, the, actually the best chance of the entire game for any team. Uh, and I'd probably maybe include Boyle's opener in that, even though that was sort of up against the defender on the line. It was, it was a great chance for Kilmarnock. 
but that gave us a great example of things that we spoke about last season as with Hibs under Ross is uh, Hibs are dangerous. Uh, they've got weaknesses um, in parts of their, of their game and weaknesses in terms of what type of shape that they go for. But then we, they are so dangerous in the break. It was like that chance came and then two minutes later, Hibs are, are one nil up. Uh, I saw it Nisbet uh, with a great pass to Boyle and then the goalkeeper um, East, Eastwood inexplicably coming flying out. I'm not sure if he doesn't realise quite how quick Martin Boyle is, um, but uh, he made an absolute wild decision and then um, Boyle done really well and showed that sort of composure side of his game, which has sort of been the thing that's sort of changed him into one of the better players in this league. Well, that's a, that's probably a good point. It's something I hadn't actually thought about before with, with Southwood was that, like, he's coming into a, a new club, but he's not just doing that. He's coming into a new league. He maybe doesn't know much about Martin Boyle. He only signed for them a couple of days ago, so he's he's got limited time in which to kind of do his homework. And that's one of many reasons why it was quite curious that, that Alex Dyer went for him over Danny Rogers. Danny Rogers... I mean, only signed a, a few days before, but he has been on trial with them for a few weeks and, and played through like pre-season games. So he would have a, a better kind of, you know, rapport with the defence. He, he'd maybe be a bit more kind of match sharp as well. So, but you have to the kind of more I think about it. Like Kelly fans weren't happy, but they think that Rogers undeniably should have been starting because of those reasons. I do wonder whether Alex Dyer made the choice because he's thinking that. Right, he brings in both keepers. He has, has a look at them on both, like, you know, Friday or, or whatever. And he realises, or he realises anyway from, from scouting both the players that, that um, is it South, Southwood or Eastwood? Eastwood. <laughs> Eastwood, sorry. Eastwood, Eastwood is, is the better of the two keepers. So even though he's more, you know, rusty and might not be as familiar with the defence of the opposition or whatever, he's my number one. So I want my number one to, to start because if I don't start my number one, then it might you know I might have to wait till the other goalkeeper makes a, a few kind of obvious mistakes to drop him kind of thing. So he's he's just thinking right, this is the best goalkeeper. I'm going to start the best goalkeeper. You don't necessarily have to do that, but I think that might have been his reason that he's like, well, I, I've got faith in this guy to be better, so I'm going to show that faith the day one. I think it could also be the case we don't know what the deal is with his loan deal. Um, and what the what the agreement actually is uh, for said the coming there might be we always hear this this is the earliest I've ever heard the, the, the loan deal conspiracy <laughs> the loan deal I mean I think, I think some of them are true I mean you're a Hearts fan you saw Joel Pereira for years ages <laughs> uh, last, last season but you know, like maybe, but I think these things do happen I think there is an agreement when you put someone that there's going to be a certain amount of, of games and opportunities because otherwise what's the, what's the point of sending someone alone to sit on another team's bench it, it yeah doesn't, that's true it, like, I mean, I'm not saying it, it always happens, but I think a lot of the time, especially at Scottish clubs, England, and we're probably not covering the entirety of the wage. Uh, I think a lot of the time they do want them to get some minutes if they're going to send them send them up here. But uh, going back to the game, uh, Kilmarnock, um, without, they didn't look very dangerous, but they kept the ball really well. I mean, yeah. before the game, I got myself a bit excited, um, just in general, because the football's coming back, but uh, also because um, they were missing uh, Dicker and Brophy. Uh, but again, the minute I started looking at the team and talking to Craig Anderson about it online, I started looking at their squad, I was like, I still a decent bloody team there. I might be getting a bit carried away with how important that might be, because obviously they've got Kabamba now. They're, they're uh, also missing uh, both starting fullbacks, which, well, yeah. we presume they're starting fullbacks. They're two signings that are kind of earmarked as they're starting fullbacks. Mm-hmm. So they, that's why they looked weak in the fullback area. Uh, but I think 
um, you saw in terms of Hibs and their new signings with, with Gogic, um, Hibs done very well, especially when they had the three at the back and even in the second half when they reverted to the four. Kilmarnock couldn't play through the middle of Hibs. Uh, there was a bit on sports scene. We noticed it when we were watching it together, but they'd done a bit on sports scene when they sort of sped up Kilmarnock's play. Yeah. Um, and what I noticed there is you kept on seeing Gogic was the one going towards the ball. He kept on coming, even though it was sped up, you're seeing Gogic constantly pressing the ball, pressing the ball the minute it comes in. And obviously last season, especially under uh, Heckingbottom, going through the middle of Hibs was was a dream come true for, for our team. Teams would get the, the easiest sort of goals, just waltzing right through the middle and either sort of hitting shots the edge of the box or like maybe playing sort of curled crosses from the corner of the box when you're walking through it. Was, it was really easy when you had guys like Malin and, and Vea as the one stopping that. So I, I think Gogic showed his value right away. And uh, with Kilmarnock, they were forced out wide a lot due to that. And that sort of plays at a hip's hand, especially now that uh, Porteous is fit. Um, his positional sense is probably, arguably, in my opinion, his, his greatest asset uh, in terms of his, aggr- like his aggression towards the ball when clearing it and being in the right position. And with McGinn playing there and Hanlon, that's a lot more mobile than maybe Hibbs three set of halves where you've got guys like McGregor and stuff in there. Yeah, McGregor can still do a job. but So they were forced to play wide all the time. And, and Hibbs dealt with those crosses consistently throughout the game. Um, and looking back, I also thought the, the sort of formation change was quite interesting. I think maybe the point in that, because we noticed that when Dre Wright and Doig suddenly ended up on the same Mm-hmm. Part, part, the same side of the pitch and I think maybe the idea was they maybe once Hibs had went 2-0 up and maybe after Kilmarnock had scored and it was obviously a bit more nerve-wracking that he maybe wanted to protect Doig because Doig's I mean that's a, it's a big debut to go up against sort of Chris Burke who's having, had, a good, had a good couple of years at Kilmarnock and as a forward international that maybe they wanted to protect him a bit I, I think they actually um, I'm pretty certain that they actually made the change before the second goal because I think that's where it comes from for Boyle on the right I was watching clips uh, Nisbet back, so we'll, we'll come on to talk about him in a, in a second. Uh, and obviously, I was kind of looking to see where he was standing in relation to Boyle. And it, it seemed to be like a couple of minutes before the goal, they'd actually changed the formation then, with Boyle going over the right. So, yeah, so and that still might have been the thing to protect Doig, but I'm still still not necessarily sure whether I mean, it's hard to say because, I mean, uh, they, they might have helped the goal because it was Boyle kind of coming in from the right. But I'm not sure that whether Hibbs actually played better overall from the formation change. And I think that uh, Nisbet really struggled as a result of the, the switch. Yeah, absolutely. Because suddenly he became sort of the lone, lone target man. I mean, Nisbet, um, in terms of looking at his stats, he set up a goal. He does really well for that goal, the first goal. Um, he, he's strong and then he holds up and he drives to the centre. And it's a really well-weighted pass to Boyle. And Boyle's movement's good. But outside of that, let's be honest, he got... I mean, we'll be going on to talk about Aberdeen and Bruce Anderson and the same thing sort of happened to Nisbet in this game where he just got completely lost and he couldn't hold the ball up at all. It was like long shell balls. I mean, Kamarnik have got Finlay and, and, and Broadfoot in there. But I think the interesting, we see how quickly Hibs were changing shape. And I think we spoke about this on the podcast because one of the questions was about the shape the Hibs are going to play. And this maybe is going to allude to the fact that Hibs are going to be quite fluid. And it's not necessarily, you might see Hibs sort of change in shape quite regularly. Um, and, I mean, the second, if you look at it, we were able to bring Stevenson on and that was when we were wanting to really close things out and we probably weren't thinking about going on and, and scoring any more goals. And then suddenly you've got McGinn and Stevenson as fullbacks and you, they are like extremely conservative 
fullbacks, especially in modern day football. But if you want to sort of shut up shop, they become pretty good. I mean, Stevenson made a couple of great blocks, and mm. there, but that allows shit. And then when you do that, if you're not playing three at the back, I know Boyle played up front this game, but I'm guessing when Dodge is fully fit, Boyle's going to revert to playing on the right if he's not just sold. <laughs> and then, yeah. um, so then when we suddenly we can change shape to be more conservative, but then you can put Boyle in a more advanced position to take advantage of, of, of counter-attacking. So Hibs have got a lot of different ways of hurting teams, and I think once um, they get settled, um, they probably might be, in terms of, from a tactical point of view, uh, one of the more interesting teams to, to watch this season. And maybe Nisbet may find himself getting... Because I think, he, I think he, looked, he looked good in the first uh, half an hour. He looked good when Boyle was alongside him because he was the one that was kind of dropping deep a bit more, whereas Boyle was going long and stretching the defence, and that suited Nisbet. When he had to be the, 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 the spearhead of the attack, play basically beside the Kelly defenders, that's where he struggled. He just continually got muscled off the ball by Broadfoot and Finlay. And, I mean, that's something that you could have to get used to playing at the kind of higher level where players... I mean, the low leagues always get you know, reputations as being like cloggers and like, as if like players down there are, are more kind of manly and stronger. Because players in the top flight get to, you know, get the best train equipment. Every day. Like, train every day, get the best equipment. They're also going to be stronger. They're going to be stronger ah. and fitter. So it's, it's going to be harder for them. But there's, a difference find... between, there's a difference between being stronger and getting kicked more. Yes. Like, like, they're, they're, they're very different things, uh, being fouled and maybe abused, maybe slightly more in, in the lower leagues, but certainly um, not stronger players. But he, he might find himself just getting eased out a little bit to start with as long as Hibs have Boyle in the side, depending, again, on the system they want to play. Because if, they want a, if he wants to stick with a 3-5-2 at all, then you can't really imagine him wanting to play Boyle as right wing-back all too often because surely, well, it's really does well because of his absolute incredible pace to get up and down the wing. Surely you don't want him playing that far away from the goal as much as he is. Surely you want him, even though he's probably naturally more suited to being a wing back than a forward, he's just so lethal right now that you don't want him to play like only on one side of the pitch, really. Yeah, exactly. His composure is great, but that might be something that. Hibbs are able to do because even when he'd done it before, Boyle was coming inside. He was picking up the ball for deep and driving inside rather than just going outside. Um, he even scored goals against Dundee United like that. Uh, and I think Inverness and maybe Aberdeen where he was playing in the in the sort of more right-hand side, right wing-back slot last season. And that's something that maybe with Paul McGinn, it might become quite easy for Hibbs to jump between I Boyle's playing right wing-back. But the second we get the ball, with Gogic there, you can maybe turn into a back four with him dropping in and then Boyle being able to be released to go further forward and either... But you get the beauty of him being able to drive for deep and teams getting the feet of God. But like you're saying, with the way you're watching him now, the, the composure that's been added to his game uh, in and around the box is immense and you really don't want to take that away. I mean, that goal he scored, the second goal, uh, that's, I, I've seen that goal maybe three times in the last since he came back from that injury and that's starting to look like a bit of a specialty with him, hitting the corner of that box and that dragged shot across the goalkeeper for maybe about 18 yards. He definitely done it against Dundee United in the cup last season off the top of my head. Uh, and you're right, you don't, if you've got a player like that that's that dangerous, even when I'm saying all the other things he's able to do, guys scoring goals and setting up goals is more important than, than anything else we can bring. But um, Kamana could be disappointed, I think, where we're not picking anything up. They just they just really lacked a cutting edge. And I think Hibs were able to to hold them a bit at arm's length. And that might be that even if we dropped that deep and Brophy was playing, he'd be pinging shots from everywhere like he does. 
and you would argue that could have benefited them, Brophy there, and then might not necessarily score, but the goalie spills it, and you're just constantly working and working them. So maybe that's where they missed them when Hibs sort of dropped deeper. Yeah, and I think there's enough uh, positives for Kelly to kind of be still a bit positive, considering the players that were missing uh, from the starting eleven. Considering the the fact that they're away for home to uh, a team that's expected to finish above them, you know they, they were only they scored. <laughs> I probably mentioned Chris Burke's goal, uh, outrageously good. Uh, good, oh, yeah. um, good analysis of that on Sports Seed as well from James McFadden when he pointed out that just as Burke hits it, uh, Marciano uh, does the wee jump that the goalies kind of mm-hmm. do is they're kind of jumping on the spot to keep their legs kind of fresh and warm so they can pull off, like so they can move their kind of feet quicker. In that instance, he was kind of in the air when Burke hit it. So that meant that he just had that little split second where he couldn't move his mm. feet quicker. And that might have, he might not have stopped it anyway, but that, that might have helped uh, Buck uh, st- scoring that absolute rasper. But there was, there was positives. I mean, Kelty was lively. You can maybe say mm-hmm. that they, they maybe needed someday with uh, a wee bit more kind of ingenuity, a wee bit more creativity in that number 10 spot. But he, he done a lot of running. He, he won the foul for the free kick. He, he was buzzing around all day, getting about the pitch, making himself available. But, you know, maybe that also contributed with the fact that Kabamba was as isolated as he, as he was because the player playing closest to him was, was doing maybe kind of more kind of, you know, dirty work. Yeah. Um, Rory McKenzie didn't play well. Um, and that's... <laughs> he's going to be one of the ones that's... Um, I think split opinion on this show and uh, Kelly fans as well. I think he, I think he always looks good in a good team. Uh, when Kelly, uh, I've got like maybe more kind of like to, not to be too harsh on McKenzie, but maybe more kind of naturally talented players around him. And then his, um, the fact that he always kind of does a good job and he's, he always runs himself into the ground is something that's maybe a it's little bit more appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also I think Tishbola came don't, back. Yeah, yeah, Tishbola. I mean, with McKenzie, you, you don't want him to. You don't want him to be relying on him to do too much. You want him to do like a very specific job, uh, and and you're not relying on him. And but uh, in, in that team with the players that were out, like Brophy, suddenly McKenzie becomes. So you need him more, and you don't really want him to be doing that. And you're right, Tishbola was uh, was 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 arguably the best player. I would say. Yeah. No, no, I think he was good. Yeah, he was. His use of the ball was very good, and that's something that he's he's maybe struggled with in the past, but the. Craig Anderson's always said that he thinks that there is a player there. He just doesn't always show it. It might be just as inconsistent this time around, but it was certainly a good start. Right, let's move up to Pataudry. Uh, Rangers uh, beat Aberdeen one goal to nil. Ryan Kent scoring in the first half. The first game of the new season, the early kickoff on Sky. Not the best of games to start things off. No, it was it was it was dregs, and I think um, Aberdeen. I think Aberdeen will be really disappointed. I mean, McInnes was coming across like he was happy. And there is, we do, we do have to remember that people haven't played in such a, a long time. Uh, when we, so I don't want to be too critical here. Um, but I just found Aberdeen would be just, they didn't really lay a glove on Rangers. And Aberdeen are a team that should be able to cause Rangers problems. Rangers shouldn't be able to come and just I know it was 1-0 but they came and they comfortably took three points at Pataudry and it never ever once looked at any sort of doubt um, in terms of the entry Aberdeen the way they were talking and for the goal that they lost they wanted to play a pressing game which I think was really really quite dangerous in an, open, in an opening day game when you've not played in, in about four or five months or whatever against a team that has got the forwards of Morelos Hadji, 
uh, and Kent. And let's see that we saw it the, the second they didn't do the press right, they they lost the game. And the fact that they pressed and didn't really seem to bother Rangers, it seemed like it was a high risk maneuver, and there was there was no reward at any point. And like maybe we they could argue that maybe Rangers didn't um, create too many chances either. Uh, but I thought it was high risk, even just for the first half. I would have just been wanting to make sure I was staying in the game. I suppose it was 1-0, but uh, I just thought it was mad. And that goal they lost, they'll be, they'll be really, really disappointed with that goal. Yeah, it was um, far too easy. Yeah, just Ash Taylor as well, just really kind of getting easy. Well, still have paired of them because kind of McKenna charges out and kind of leaves a bit. I suppose he maybe has to do that movement. But yeah, Taylor just far too deep and just making it so simple for that, that ball in behind for, for Kent. And yeah, Aberdeen were just, I mean, McKinnis is coming into this year with fans not particularly happy with him over, off the back of the last two seasons. And the, the main criticisms of Derek McInnes are that his teams are too negative, not entertaining enough, not getting enough out of their creative players, and that they also fail too many times to lay much of a glove on either Celtic or Rangers. And that's, you know, there's obviously a lot of time to go and I'd still fancy that we finished third. But that's just one game in and already that's just the things that fans are already freaking pissed off about again. Yeah, right away. Yeah, no, I mean, in terms of the Rangers point, uh, Rangers point of view, again, um, I thought it was really interesting how central Ken and Hadji were in the game. I think Morelos, um, he, he seemed awfully deep when I was watching it at times and then when sports scene done the which is another good thing about maybe on the Patreon, we're going to be totally talking about what uh, what it was like for sports team, but they'd done the touch map and they were doing heat maps for players, which is, they weren't doing that as much last season, if I recall. Uh, but Morelos's uh, touch map was was wildly all over, like literally all over the pitch. And he only had about five touches in the box. So for me, that's clearly deliberate. Um, and they uh, Hadji and Kent coming inside, but there's so many moments in the game uh, I noticed it a bit when we were watching it, but then when you watch the highlights, you see how often Kent's picking up the ball centrally and not even often coming in from the wide, just literally just being in the middle of the pitch. So it's obviously a deliberate tactic that Morelos is playing. I don't want to say it because he's definitely playing up front, but he's sort of playing that more that false nine uh, role yeah. for Rangers there. And maybe that's deliberate because they've now got a guy like Hadji and maybe might find that even if Morelos stays, that Morelos scores less less goals this season but Rangers might be more potent I don't know yeah the, I think there's still ways that Rangers need to work on that if, if it is a, a tactic for the new season because they as much as you said like Rangers Rangers didn't play well but they did they, they barely troubled the defence the midfield controlled a lot of the game so you really if you're saying they didn't play well you're kind of really talking about just the forwards and I don't think the forwards did play that well Morelos did a job and mm-hmm. you know played the ball for the uh, played the ball through but we've seen Morelos be at his best and that was nowhere near Morelos best yeah. Uh, Kent, Kent thought was uh, probably the best of like the four most advanced players. Uh, I thought Hadji was quite poor uh, in his kind of decision making and even like his touch and stuff. It was it wasn't a great game from him. And Joe Rebo, we're expecting a kind of the talkers are expecting a lot from him this season. Yeah. I didn't see too much in the first game to suggest that he's any sort of different to the last last campaign. I know only one match, but it, it wasn't. It's just it's a weird one to look at this game because. On the one hand, they're away from home to Aberdeen. There's a, there's a very good chance that is literally going to be like the third toughest fixture of their entire season. Mm-hmm. It's away at the Dons. 
But on the other and and they were like quite comfortable. They they controlled a lot of the game. They, they, they didn't really have to leave second gear to win it. So you could say played poor job done. Play, yeah, yeah, job done. But it's just obviously they're just going to be compared to Celtic all the time. And when Celtic uh, put the kind of performance they did on Sunday, and then Rangers don't like look anywhere near that kind of level at this point in time, it's it's just one of those things that fans sometimes can't help but be a little bit downhearted. Um, yeah, or, or kind of sceptical of their chances. But yeah, I mean, a victory away at Aberdeen can't be sniffed at. So you kind of, I suppose, especially at this point in the campaign, they have to. Look at the positives more than the negatives. Um, and and, and what, what sorry, going back to sorry, going back to Hadji. One thing I did notice is that me and you both were talking quite regularly about how poor he was uh, when we were watching the game together. But then when I watched the highlights back, you might see um, maybe the quality and how much of an impact he is going to have is that he still had two good efforts on goal where he nearly scored, and he also set up Morelos's chance where it got deflected wide, which is arguably along with Aribo's chance, probably the best chance that they create. So even uh, in, a, in a really poor game for Hadji, uh, there's sort of three moments where he easily could have been involved in a, in a, in a couple of goals. And I think that's, I mean, I, I think that Hadji is going to come pretty bloody good. Yeah, I, I think he's a very talented player. And they mm. just, they need to just maybe figure out exactly how these guys are all going to work together. Um, because it doesn't, it, it, it also looked like there's a wee bit of a lack of kind of cohesion about the front players as well. That obviously, again, you just have to kind of compare them to Celtic all the time. You, you see the kind of cohesion Celtic have, but yeah, Celtic were playing an, an easier opponent, and also their players have been playing together for a longer time. Hadji's only, you know, played about seven games since joining. Mm-hmm. Right before um, before we before I let back, you, sorry, on you go. I was going to say before I let you go, let's uh, let's go back to the Dons. Um, Bruce Anderson starting uh, wasn't a huge surprise. Uh, they'd only recently signed Ryan Edmondson not long before the game, so he was unlikely to come right into the starting eleven. But I did find it in- interesting that Anderson started, and it was just basically the same tactics as if it was Sam Cosgrove or Curtis Mayne. Absolutely, I agree. With you. We were talking about this. It's like, it frustrated me, Aberdeen, because he's he's playing. As I said, he done the high press. And that didn't, he, didn't, he didn't do that. That wasn't done right. And I thought it was high risk when you've not had a, a lot of time on the training ground as well to, to play that to play that style. But they've brought Bruce Anderson as who, who clearly does have some some talent and he, and he has attributes. But it, it couldn't have been worse. You've got Ojo, Bryson and Ferguson there. There was a way for Aberdeen to play that could have brought more out of Bruce Anderson and all those midfielders who arguably all had poor games. And there's an argument that they had poor games because of the the tactics and the style of play that, that Aberdeen have. They've got some of the strongest sort of midfield players in the league, but they, they seem to not really particularly want to use them uh, uh, a lot of the time. And this was like the perfect opportunity um, to, to sort of maybe try something a bit different. You've got, um, and, and they never done it. And Bruce Anderson, I, I felt sorry for him. He was going up against um, sort of Goldson and Leon Balligan, who had an absolutely super debut at Balligan there. But you're not telling me when he walked on that pitch and looked at the two of them and realised and knew how his, he was going to be playing. His heart, he must have got down high before he even kicked a ball in that game. Because Leon Balligan absolutely just fully dominated the, the whole game. And um, they'll be hard to they'll be hard to counter-attack on Rangers this season if they go with Goldson and Balligan because they can give... And the striker can get a yard 
and they'll be more than capable of getting back there with the with the long strides and uh, and Balogun looked so comfortable in the air and Bruce Anderson, as I say, I just felt really, I felt a bit sorry for him. He was on a hiding of nothing. Yeah, and he didn't he didn't really get much support because neither Johnny Hayes nor Matty Kennedy played well as the wingers and the number ten was Craig Bryson who was pretty much playing as a. I mean, he was, he was kind of as a number 10 sometimes, but most of the time he was kind of just like doing his kind of Craig Bryson thing, getting up and down and acting more like an 8 than a 10. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know what else Anderson really could have done. And I just think it's a bit ridiculous that McInnes wouldn't try to alter it a bit to, to at least try a different approach. Just lumping it up to a guy who's not built to, to play that sort of game and is very inexperienced anyway. It was, it was always going to be like that. That was why... I wish I'd changed my bet to do it at Rangers to nil, but I just knew that Aberdeen wanted scoring in that game as soon as I saw the lineup. We got nowhere. I think the only the biggest chance they had was the scramble on the goal line when Balogun yeah. sort of hit his head off the post. Aye, that was like Scott McKenna threw him into the post. <laughs> Aye, um, so like yeah, welcome, welcome to Scotland, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so I just think it's. See, I don't think anyone's going away feeling absolutely delighted for that football match, but Rangers will be great to get that sort of one out of the way. And there was positives, and they did control it. You see with Jack and Kamara playing that. Again, I don't think they should play together all the time, Jack and Kamara. I think that's, again, we've seen them at their best last season playing together a lot of the time in Europe uh, for Rangers, and it worked really well when they were keeping the ball. I think Rangers maybe could have afforded to play maybe our field uh, from the start, um, to just to give a bit more penetration in that, or maybe for maybe maybe he thought Ryan Jack might have been sort of the Ryan Jack he was in the sort of earlier part of 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 last season. But yeah, it's a good win for Rangers and Aberdeen. Yeah, the biggest problem is it just looks like the same old story. But that might just mean they finished third, and it's not that really that bad, is it? <laughs> <laughs> right, Tony. Thank you very much for joining me. No bother. Take care Thanks of yourself. I'm feel, I feel sad that I'm not going to talk about all the other games <laughs> now, 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 now that I'm here doing it. But I want to talk about Ryan Christie and Elliot Nussie's movement, Mum. Uh, <laughs> just, just talk to Mandy about it. I will, I will do. <laughs> right, have a nice day. I'll speak to you later. Right, you cheers. And now I welcome onto the podcast Mr. Tom Watts. We're going to talk about two games. We're going to talk about Samirin winning against Livingston. But first... We're going to discuss Dundee United's return to the Scottish Premiership with a one-all draw at home. Ten-man St. Johnson. Tom, what do you reckon to this for United? Good result? Uh, bad result? Or, or the, just that kind of noise you just made there? It's that. It's that. It's exactly that kind of noise. First of all, credit to... Tannadice has to be the loudest empty stadium so far of the weekend, like I, I thoroughly enjoyed that you could hear every single, uh, every single instruction, every single word that was said. I, I think um, it, it's not a great result given that they were up against ten men for the you know for the whole of the second half and the goal up. Uh, I think all, all in if you if you were going to start the start the weekend, if both teams were going to get a point for it, I don't think anyone would be too disappointed. But I think the way that Ultimately, United kind of surrendered the lead and the momentum as well, uh, which which I'm sure we'll get onto, will be the biggest cause for concern for them because they score early on. They pretty much bossed the whole of the the, the first half. Then uh, Michael O'Halloran has uh, he has a fair few chances at getting sent off. To be fair, he he uh, he really didn't fancy it, did he? He, he didn't didn't look like he, he it was his day. I mean, he he could have. 
It was probably fair that it was a yellow card for the first one, but we've definitely seen them given as reds. I, I, would, actually, I would actually disagree. I thought it was a, I thought it was a straight red. I, I think it was one of the ones when I when I first saw it, I was like, eh, yeah, that was that was pretty ropey, but you know, fair enough. Actually, when you watch it back, it looks fairly violent, but. At the very least, he couldn't have had too many complaints if we'd seen red for that. Then he has a a, a, a couple other clashes. I think there's one with uh, one with Connolly, maybe, and, and leaves one in on on Seacrest as well before ultimately getting sent off for something quite innocuous. Um, and you think at that point, Dundee United, who had made a you know they they they'd moved Dundee, uh, they'd moved St Johnston around well. They they looked like they were. They were holding the ball really well. Uh, you think at that point they're going to go on and win that quite comfortably. The fact that they don't and they kind of surrendered the momentum in the second half is is why it's not really a great result. And Mickey, Mickey Mellon says afterwards they're going to have to learn quite quickly. Um, and it, it very much did look like a team who might be high on confidence because of where they finished last season and the, you know the, they they played well and they uh, for most of last season they, they know what they're all about they have an identity but coming up against something a little bit better than they're used to yeah I mean it's a weird one though I, I, a lot of times fans will say like Ah, uh, like uh, the, the so, so basically I read the forum before I watched any of the kind of game and United fans were were, were, were talking about that the, the second half they, they came out and they just they didn't want it as much as St. Johnson and they weren't showing enough kind of determination and whatever. And you usually kind of hear that fans think, well, that's it's just an easy way to, to, to kind of look at something and say that's the reason why they, you know there was less hunger or whatever. But then I watched it and I was like, well, this is actually the case of what yeah. really happened. <laughs> like the, the kind of pressing they were doing in the first half to get the ball off St. Johnson, it was just very evident early in the second half that it wasn't there to anywhere near the kind of intensity that they put in. And the goal was kind of like an example of that, yeah, I mean, fair enough, it's a, it's a shocking error from Connolly. I was surprised he didn't get kind of more of a kick in on, on, on yeah. both sports scene programmes for it because it's, it's really poor. I mean, I, 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 I can only think he gets caught in two minds of whether he wants to kind of hook it up the pitch or just knock it out and then hooks it but with not enough power. Like, yeah, 10 yards behind Because if he's able to hook it, he should surely be able to side foot it. Yes, that, that's, yeah. it's like less. It's less stretching required for that. Um, I mean, if 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 that took a bit of skill, to be fair, to be able to find Philippe Craig with a, a blind <laughs> pass like that, but, uh, yeah, yeah, what a finish as well. Uh, but yeah. yeah, but even in the build-up, like the way that they move the ball down the the right-hand side, there's four United players over there, and the, the one they don't even they don't fail to stop the pass, so they could easily kind of. Well, not easily, but they could have done more to try and stop the pass uh, down the flank. And then even then, they allow the cross to come in. It was like there's, there's four players there on basically on two, and they just kind of were there, you know, almost in spirit. They were just there to have a, a, a better look at this build-up for this goal rather than actually kind of showing what they did early on. Because, as you said, they were, they were very impressive, I thought, in the first half. The way they knocked the ball about, I liked the... F- uh, I was very impressed with, uh, is it Ian Harks? I always want to say John because his dad is Ian, is it not? Yep. Yeah, yep. Ian Harks. Ian Harks. Uh, I, was, yeah. I, was ve- I was very impressed with his kind of breaking through the lines through midfield constantly. You could often see kind of Shanklin kind of coming to hold the ball up and whether it was Harks or, or Pollitt or, you know, Nicky Clark, there always would be somebody kind of running beyond them, uh, kind of creating space. Shanklin himself had a kind of couple of uh, opportunities, one very good opportunity, another you know, like kind of half chance early in the second half. Uh, 
the one the one where he has a good chance if he actually looks up and squares it for Liam Smith and the game might be finished at 2-0 and it was only really after then that things started to turn but I was I was thinking like they're looking a lot better than I expected them to and then yeah <laughs> you get to half time you've played very well the other team are down to 10 men and I don't know whether they just I, I don't know maybe whether the players were kind of more used to because this is, this is maybe the test they didn't really expect. They didn't expect to play probably so well as they did in the first half. And then they didn't expect what was going to hit them in the second. And it maybe goes back to being a, a team that kind of romped the championship last season. And it is a lot of those same players that they kind of... I don't think for any second that consciously they would have been like saying to each other, ah, oh, well, these boys are crap. We, we, could just, we could just knock it about easily in the second half and that'll be, you know, the game finished. But I wonder whether they got lulled into some sort of subconscious trap where having got so used to kind of seeing games out last year, they just kind of took their foot off the gas a little. Yeah, it, it certainly looked like that. And I think the way they lined up meant that, especially in the, in the first half, Hearts, I thought was very impressive, was break, like bursting forward, breaking between lines, was kind of all-action dominant midfielder. And I think when they play Paulet as a central midfielder rather than trying to play him out wide or play him off a striker, you get the best from him because he, he's at his best running directly at people. His final ball's not great. He's not particularly good on the shoulder, but he's almost give him a running start. That's where you get the best from him. So I thought that they, the midfield was really good. The midfield was really balanced. Uh, the, the, the back three were knocking it about well. There was... They held the ball really well. I mean, I think they must have had close to you know seventy percent possession over the course of the game. Never mind, like even before the the red card, they were they were very patient. Um, I think some of the interplay to create some of the chances that they had was really neat, and they looked like everything seemed to be there. I don't know whether partly it was a a, a fitness thing. I don't know whether there was a. I mean, it's easy to say in retrospect, but I think possibly one of the things that they could have, that Mickey Mellon could have done to really push home the advantage was take off one of your, uh, take off, like you've got, take off one of your three and put on, ultimately put on Cammy Smith up front. You could have, given that St Johnston were playing a back three as well, you could have sacrificed one of your midfielders, gone to the four put another man up front and really pushed on and really gone for it um, and really pushed them back. Because I think what they did allow St. Johnson to do, St. Johnson were, were, were already playing quite a high line, um, but Dundee United were able to, to, to retain the ball really well. As soon as uh, St. Johnson pushed up even further in the second half, I think, uh, and Dundee United dro- dropped a little bit further back, they found it harder to pass their way out the way that they were finding in the first half, they found it harder for, uh, there wasn't space for, for Paula and, and for Harks, who was running, who was getting the run on the, yeah, he was breaking beyond the midfield fairly regularly in the first half. They, they found that a lot more difficult. I don't think they had a, I mean, later on in the game, like for the last 10 minutes, they kind of rallied and they looked like they were possibly the team most likely to, to get something. But for most of the second half, if you were watching that, you would have thought that, that they were the team that were down to 10 men. And moving on to kind of talk a little bit more about St. Johnson, I thought the, the way that they lined up, I thought was very interesting considering what we've been used to seeing for them in the, the last. I mean, I know that Wright played with a, a three at the back system. Uh, quite a lot towards the end of last season after Jamie McCart was signed, but going with a 3-4-3 was, was something I didn't really see coming from Callum Davidson. 
Yeah, really interesting. Uh, really interesting lineup. And such a such a a, a young defence to to, uh, to play, and they they play very effectively um, as the back three. I was impressed with. I thought McNamara on the the right wing back was was had a very good game. Um, Liam Craig was was very good. The, the midfield was was compact in the second half and they were breaking forward to, to support the strikers. We've mentioned O'Halloran who kind of had his his mad moments, but um, they looked good like that. They looked... They, it let them play a higher line. The, 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 the three defenders they've got are all pretty reasonably quick. They're all young, fit, um, and, and very comfortable on the ball. So able to play with that, I thought that the... Uh, if you've got you've got Cal Booth on one side and McNamara, who, like I say, I thought linked up pretty well, got back and forward, um, everything you kind of wanted in a in a in a wing back. I thought he was very effective, and when uh, ultimately they they lose O'Halloran, so they have to go the, the the two up top, but the the midfield especially, I thought were very dynamic. They they were very balanced and they were getting forward. Um, I, th- I think it's difficult to judge too much on, because, given that they they played forty five minutes with uh, a man down and were actually very effective like that. I think Callum Davidson will probably want them to assert more authority on games than they, they they did here, and certainly the way that he set up looked like they might he he might want them to to take a bit more ownership of the ball and and, and work the ball out um, out wide a little bit more. But they had a number of points of, of, of attack. They looked dangerous. Uh, Weatherspoon uh, cut in a few times and, and was getting um, getting a bit of joy there. Uh, Liam Craig ultimately scores the goal. Ali McCann had a couple of really int- uh, really good runs into the box. I think it's difficult to judge too much on what the the the, the style will be because they were pretty ad- adaptable and and played very well for, for being a man down. But I think, like you say, really interesting formation, uh, really interesting way of, of setting, the, you know, setting the team out, leaving out Stevie May. We expect possibly Sean Ray to start. He didn't start. Um, and going with the back three, that, like you say, Tommy Wright had kind of played around with uh, last season, but they looked much more resolute. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see whether that's the kind of the plan going forward, whether that's the, the his kind of, template or whether it was trying to match uh, or, or whether it was p- particularly for this game with Dungeon United playing the, likely to play the back three as well You, you, um, missed, out, you missed out for me the most interesting part of it all which was David Wallerspoon playing an entire game as a forward Yeah yeah, and actually, uh, very and actually effectively, doing pretty well at it as well Very effectively Yeah um, Yeah I mean the, the O'Halloran with the, with the exception of O'Halloran the the, the front three were were very good. They were they were very hard working. There was all the the positives that you'd expect from a a St Johnston side, but actually they were they were they were pretty good in possession. And I think the they they didn't hold on to the ball for huge amounts of time. A lot of their their good play was a result of you know players running beyond. I think they they averaged about nine seconds of possession every time that uh, they got the ball and they didn't have a huge, I think they only managed about 19 minutes in total in the, in the whole 90 of, of their in possession, but you'd expect that for a team down to 10 men. Where I think they were very good was in, they didn't knock it long, but they they have a lot of runners, they have a lot of players that can, can move forward quickly with the ball and 
without overcommitting, um, as as you as would be a danger with only ten men, they were able to cause an awful lot of problems, especially for a period, um, you know, about about fifty fifty minutes around around the hour. They they really rattled on the United and, and caused an awful lot of problems. Okay, let's move on for this game to the match at Paisley. At Paisley? In Paisley? Yeah. <laughs> In Paisley makes more sense. In Paisley. <laughs> That's Mirren 1, Livingston 0. Not the best of starts to the season for a team that I said could finish in the top four. Uh, but uh, speaking of new formations, Livingston seemed to try it one here where they went with a, a 3 4 2 1 with two kind of narrow number 10s playing behind Lyndon Dykes. And a, a bit of a surprise it wasn't, considering that I think for the majority of last season they, they moved their system, haven't played so effectively with a three in the back for, for most of their first uh, year in the top flight. They, they generally went with a 4-2-3-1 last campaign. But they've changed it again to start this one. I can only assume that because they've, they've started in this, it's something that Gary Holt and David Martindale have been kind of drawn up over the summer and working on, and they, they will believe it's the, the best system to suit the players. Uh, so I'd imagine that we'll see more of it, but not the best of starts. Not the best of starts. I think it, it, it looked very much like a team who aren't quite used to, to doing what they were asked to do against a team that were very, very used to doing what they were asked to do. And although the St Mirren backline uh, haven't played much football together, they're, you know, they've recruited really well there. I think a couple of years ago, certainly, you wouldn't have been hugely surprised. You know, they've got they've, they've talked a lot about being a top six side. Certainly, that back four a couple of years ago could have quite comfortably been a, a top six back four. I think where, like you say, the Livy, I'm not quite sure what the plan was. I mean, it, it looked very much like, so the back three of Aaron Taylor, Sinclair, Guthrie, Fitzwalter, Devlin on, on one wing, as you'd imagine, will start most games. F.A. Ambrose playing the left wing back role. Um, I, I'm not all their almost all their attacking threat came down the right, as you might imagine. But the the there were three like Ambrose gets on the end of three things, and like he has he had one good opportunity where they they switched the ball quite quickly, and I think he was he was actually. Uh, Ambrose was was perfectly capable there, like defensively very solid. You know, was was final game, but the balance that they could have from having an actual left wing back, what I don't quite understand is where Aaron T- Taylor Sinclair's kind of slotting in on the the left hand side of the back three. Uh, him actually playing as the left wing back would have given them something a little bit more direct and a little the the, the opportunities they got to switch the ball over. You. There, there are a few play- like I, I'm actually a big fan of Effie Ambrose. I think he's 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 underrated and gets a lot of undeserved stick. But I think the one player you would not necessarily want to be charging down the left hand side after a ball where you've got 40 yards of space to run into. The only thing he's going to do is cut in on his right. So I think they they didn't look hugely comfortable with the with the with the way they they'd set up. Um, I think that the they had to go long a lot. The the most uh, the, I think the, the the two players who who passed to each other most often, or the most the most popular pass for Livingston players was McCrory to Dykes more than anyone else. So I, I think they they were trying to go long. Dykes didn't get an awful lot of change out of the St. Mirren defence, um, and they just 
weren't really at the, at, at the races. Um, credit to Samirin, I think, who who played very well and were were disciplined and knew what they had to do. But I think that Livingston only kind of really came into the game a little bit more when they went two up top. Uh, Acer came came on and uh, for for Forrest and they went for, with the front two. Forrest did actually had a, a had a reasonably effective game until that point, but I think just going with the two the two up top that he he did look slightly off the pace and it does look like he's going to have to work a little bit to to step up from where he, he was but the the two up top did seem to cause a little bit more problems but yeah i i think it was a team that looks like they don't quite know what they're doing yet versus one in St Mirren who who look pretty comfortable with with where they are yeah, well, we kind of talked about that when I was doing the, the season previews and whether St Mirren, because of what we saw last year, would Goodwin actually doing a pretty good job at managing to get that team organised when he, I mean, it was basically cobbled together at the last possible moment. And he still somehow managed to, especially in the early going, when the, the, a lot of the players were taking a, a while to settle, managed to kind of construct something that at least made them hard to beat and therefore the kind of the confidence wasn't too down by the time that guys like Abika and, and Durmas actually started to, to play for them a bit. And the fact that they've hit the ground running and the fact that they had had a lot of their signings in a wee bit earlier so they could kind of, you know, build some sort of, you know, cohesiveness and unity and get these guys settled a bit earlier certainly seems to have worked for the first game. Uh, one player who did impress was somebody who was joined in January and that's maybe goes back to the point that he'd maybe take a little bit to settle but he's, he's maybe going to start to come good and that was Jamie McGrath who played in the number 10 role behind Jonathan Obika and put in the, the cross for Richard Tate's goal. Yeah, lovely, lovely assists. Um, yeah, really hard to defend against. I, I mean, fair fair play, you you might want someone picking up Richard Tate there. But um, yeah, really, uh, really impressed. Looked creative, I think. And I think that's where they've, that's where all the question marks have been. I mean, last season, they, like you say, they, they had a fairly cobbled together team, but they were hard to beat. They never got hammered by anyone. They never, you know, even if they conceded, they never looked like they, their their heads dropped. They looked like they, they battled for things. And although they didn't necessarily have a, a huge abundance of quality, they, they were, they looked like a team. They looked cohesive. They looked like they were fighting for each other. Now, I think the defense is quite significantly upgraded where there's been, whether whether should be question marks is where the creativity and where the goals are going to come from. At, at the moment, you would say that's still uh, uh, still a, a big question mark. And, and although they uh, they did have a couple of other chances, in, in this uh, Murray should have Junior Murray should have doubled the lead, and, and Shaughnessy had a chance late on. They haven't quite. They don't look like a side that's going to. Last season, they were. The, I think they were the worst at converting chances, and I don't think with the personnel they've got at the moment, they're they don't make enough chances and they don't score enough of the chances that they do create. So I think that that's where the 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 real worry is. But if you've got a defence like they look like they have, and they do look like they've got a, a, a little bit of quality, and, and some of the players that, that came in January, I think I thought um, McCarthy as well in, in the back who, who came in in January as well looked looked very solid. Then I think they'll be more than okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it certainly didn't look like a certainly didn't look like a team that's necessarily going to struggle. But then again, it's it's kind of getting hard already to to say who's going to struggle because 
nobody looked so that terrible at the opening uh, weekend who you're actually expected to to maybe be at that end of the table. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think um, it's difficult to read too much into what happened with Hamilton. I think they always look like the, the weakest squad on paper and get you, but there's no real shame in getting dismantled by Celtic. I don't, I, I suspect both these teams will be fine. I think it's probably a concern that, you know, there's, there's rumours again that uh, Barnsley are back in for Lyndon Dykes. If, if he goes, that's, uh, you know, that, that, that that's the that's kind of plan A needs to be rewritten and and they do need to figure out exactly what they're going to do there. Yeah, I where the hell is Effie Ambrose going to play if Dykes? Is well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> up front, up front, hoist them up front. Um, but no, I, I think that would that would be their biggest concern. I think there was enough about. Them. I mean, there was a feel in this game that it was a little bit like first day back at school. It looked like neither team was particularly at the races. It looked like there was a a bit of lethargy about it. And, and I think of all the games that were played at, at the weekend, this one looked like the one, weirdly, which was probably most affected by the lack of fans. It, it certainly felt like there wasn't a level of intensity that you, there was from, from watching the other highlights. Anyway, man, that that's just, you know, nothing Marvel to measure Marvel. that with. Marvin Bartley actually said that on a sports scene that he said, because I kind of expected him to just say, no, I was kind of, because I think he was asked, is it hard to, was it hard to kind of get yourself up for it? And he was like, yeah, it was. He was like, usually like, because it did, it, he says you kind of hard to keep reminding yourself that it was, this game actually meant something because you're used to playing in those games, but you're used to playing in those games of other bounce games or, or friendlies with very little, you know, crowds attending them. And it was kind of hard to, to kind of condition your yourself, your subconscious to to react as if it was uh, like the first game of the season because usually fans are, are well up for it and making a lot of noise. And he says, regardless of whether it's a, a fan cheering for you or booing you, it still it still reminds you of what's at stake, kind of thing. And without that, you know, players can struggle. So I think it is going to take a, a little bit for for kind of players to get used to. It. And before the and even when fans do come back, it's still going to be a bit weird because it'll be better uh, that they're making noise, but it's still going to be limited numbers, so it's still not going to be quite what it was. Yeah, and I think, I think that that's all. I mean, so much of you know, some of the some of the players that were well, have been playing professionally for you know fifteen odd years, even knowing things like you know. You, you've got 10 minutes to go, you win a corner, there's a reaction, That's that gives you a little edge, that gives you a little lift, that can be the difference between, you know, between losing and a point. And, and it, it it definitely felt like that. It felt like it got to the players a little bit more than that. It's interesting Bartley, Bartley said that because it felt like that watching it um, as well. But I, I do think both these teams will probably be fine. I think that um, there was enough about Livy, I thought that, I think they're not quite there yet with knowing quite how they'll play. I think they're you know, speaking to a, a couple of fans beforehand. They were saying that they have tried things out in the limited preseason that they've had. Um, Forrest looked like there was flashes of what he could do. And I think regardless of who's playing up front, they do have a bit of creativity and they do have... If, if nobody else can guess what their formation is, then I think that means it's going to be very hard for scouts and uh, anyone playing against them to, to, to do otherwise. I think there's enough quality in that squad to be to be fine. I think St Mirren, provided they can keep their defence 
reasonably uh, reasonably intact, and they can get. I mean, the link to um, take a bio on loan from from Celtic. It looks like he may opt for the sunny climbs of Toulouse instead of going to Paisley. Don't you know? Well, weirdo. Different strokes for every for folks and all that. But you know, heading into the winter months, what weirdo. Um, but if they're if they're kind of looking at bringing someone in like that, who who may give them an another option and who may even give them eight goals in a season rather than four, then I think they'll probably be all right as well. Right, Tom. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, good to have football back, wasn't it? Good to have football back, and even in these surreal times, it was a. Uh, just a, a tiny little slice of something approaching normal. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to be back. <laughs> Lovely. Take care of yourself. Cheers. Now to finish off the final two games, we're welcoming on to the podcast, Mr. Craig Cairns, and we shall begin with a game that we've just watched. Ross County won Motherwell nil. Craig, I think the first thing I want to ask is, David Turnbull wide left. What the fuck? Yeah, it was a really bizarre one, especially when you look at the rest of the midfield. It's not like um, it's not like he had all his best players on the pitch either. Campbell was on the bench, and we—I mean, he could have taken a knock, and we don't know something about it. Or, or, or I'm going to go ahead and assume that was the case, because otherwise, it really doesn't make any sense, especially that he didn't get on at all. So the fact that Campbell's not playing to play Turnbull on the left at the expense of having O'Hara. In the centre, I, I just think that's really weird. I mean, he had you, you saw when Lang came on later on that he looked pretty decent, and he would have been a better option from the left, it seems, than uh, than Turnbull. Uh, yeah, so Turnbull's not only not had many minutes recently; he's overcome a long-term injury. He, you're, you're playing him out of position basically when yeah. you're trying to get minutes back into his legs, and and not not to accommodate anybody who's any better in the midfield. Like I say, if it had been Campbell, then you can maybe you could maybe make an, an argument for it, for trying it out. But yeah, O'Hara, I, I, he's, he's a decent squad player, but yeah, he's, he's not going to give you the same that Turnbull would from there. And if you, wanted to, if you wanted to defend it, you can maybe say, well, look at the second half. I mean, Turnbull wasn't exactly brilliant and he was playing back at his position in the centre and Motherwell still, still couldn't really create anything in front of goal, still kind of, you know, really, really kind of struggled to, to, to break down County. And in the first half, they actually had kind of had, you know, maybe a, a, couple, well, a couple of bright moments. The second half came with Turnbull coming in off the left, uh, kind of finding space in the centre and slipping in long. But, I mean, he could have been in those positions anyway. And it's kind of, they've also wasted 45 minutes of a player who is not played, as you said, not started many games, not played many games in, well, since, you know, last, towards the end of the 2018-19 season. So he's obviously going to be a little bit more jaded. And even then, in the second half, I thought he, well, he wasn't maybe at his most creative around about the penalty box. He was still, you know, making a number of passes, linking play, being composed in the ball as he often is, kind of spraying it about the park. And I think that helped. Motherwell kind of pen county back, you know. But the difference with that is that if if they had that early on, you know, the game still might be at nil nil because county could have scored in a period where they were on top and Motherwell were struggling to make things happen. And the fact that Turnbull was missing from his best position could only have contributed to that. Second half, they had both him and Polworth in the centre, so they they were good in terms of possession. And to play them in the centre against some other teams, I think they will be able to cut them open. But 
he just made it too hard. Robinson made it too hard for his own team in the first half with something that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I, I'm trying to think whether I thought he'd overthought it or not thought it through enough. So when I say, at first I thought he'd overthought it. At first I thought, right, hey, I'm, I'm going to try and you know get Turnbull into the team, so he's going to do this, and on the other side he's going to do that, and you know get long. And I was instead of just thinking, right, he's my best player, or I'm a player in his best position. But then I kind of wondered whether he hadn't thought it through enough in terms of the fact that he just maybe loved the midfield three because that was a midfield three that done so well last season, uh, you know, minus Campbell. Uh, and then he's just like, well, okay, where can I now put Turnbull on top of that? I know the spare position we've got is out left. So I'm not entirely sure what he's thinking was, but for me, it didn't work at all. And I think a lot of Mullow fans are not happy and they're going to be pointing the finger at Robinson after that one. I think... Um Potentially, if if you're talking about a time during um, David Turnbull's peak or one of his peaks for Motherwell, you could maybe argue that he's on form, he's a forward, you could just push him to play from the left and um, have a, a, a fullback that kind of bombs on to kind of to cover that, that wing or to kind of link with him on that wing and, and allow him to drift inside and into his more natural number 10 position. You could argue that uh, that, that could work, but... We've already mentioned Turnbull's still getting back to sharpness. McGinley's not going to really give you that from left back, it seems. I mean, he seemed he seemed fairly athletic. He could get up and down and stuff. But not I, would like, say, uh, I would say McGinley looked better than they did when we watched clips of him and uh, from reports of pre-season. I think he had an okay game. But yeah, he as you say... He's a winger he's, playing at left back, though. As no, he's, ah, he's, not like, he, he's not as much a threat going forward as Jake Carroll would be. Yeah, yeah. And you talk about them uh, having the kind of right shape in the second half and they did dominate the game and stuff but what came with that as well is it's a different mentality when you're chasing the game as well and it's you're, you're kind of rushing things and forcing things a bit more and to be fair to Robinson um, and he's shown this over his time at Motherwell he can change games in, in his mm-hmm. favour how much of it was County settling for the for the for the one goal lead, the more the game went on, and or how much of it was actually Motherwell becoming a, a, the better team, uh, who knows? But uh, the, the subs he brought on changed the game, and uh, they had chances. They, they should have equalised through the penalty, and they should have equalised through the Lang header. I mean, so yeah. you can't really blame you can blame Robinson for the first half and the setup and Turnbull and that, but. You have to give him credit for, for changing the game in Motherwell's favour in the second half. Yeah, he's not the worst managerial thing I've ever seen. He just, and he realised his mistake at halftime. I mean, we also know a lot of managers who would just stubbornly refuse to change it. But he, he knew that he needed to get Turnbull back in the centre. And yeah, Lang looked like he had something about him. Red card, not great uh, way to end it. But um, <laughs> they've got a lot of options on attack anyway, so I'm sure they'll be fine for one game without him. Uh, it was just... I think people might think that was a, a harsh red card. Uh, I personally, uh, it's a hard one to say. I thought it was a little, I thought it was a tiny bit harsh and that if it kind of happened early on in the game, I don't think the referee would have pulled out a red card. But late on, you kind of already got that feeling that he's, he's making that challenge one out of like, because he wants to bring the man down intentionally. He's definitely want to do that. He's got no interest in playing the ball. Because Gardens racing away on a potential counter-attack and if you know county score games definitely finished. And two, I think that there was a bit of frustration there because if you if you if you take down a guy like that and you just clip his heels, you're never gonna get anything more than a than a yellow. But he probably kind of lunged in and hit him 
quite high up. I mean, hit him about, <laughs> hit him about the thigh area. And it was kind of almost like a scissoring action at the same time. <laughs> so it was just all kind of combined to be like, that was a bad looking challenge. Off, off you pop. Some introduction. I mean, welcome. He, he looked decent as well when he came on. Um, he was one of the, him and Seedorf were two guys that kind of, Seedorf more so, but two guys that kind of changed the game in Motherwell's favour a bit. Um, but although he should have scored, that's, that's a sitter he's missed, isn't it? It's an absolute sitter. Yes, yes, it is. I, he definitely should have scored. Obviously, not as big a miss as uh, Connolly's, uh, Donnelly's, sorry. <laughs> um, I didn't think that was a penalty. I have to say, I can see what I can see what the referee seen, but it's not just an instant foul if you pull someone's jersey like that. Is that not suppose I? But it was it's kind of what makes him fall. I mean, he he dives. It's not a dive, but you know what I mean. It's one of those ones where he he goes to his knees when he kind of either when you feel a bit of contact in your upper body or you feel your shirt, you you let your legs fall from under you. It's one of those, and it's it's almost like this. Uh, unwritten rule where you're entitled to kind of go down there but that's obviously not what's made not what has made him fall but it's got the referee's attention and yeah. I, I don't know I, I think it was apparently because he's pulled he's pulled his shirt and he had absolutely no need to do it either no I was about to say that it's, uh, regardless of whether it's penalty or not it's a really daft thing from Donaldson to do to give the referee the, the option of doing that because there was no there was not really anything on there um the penalty early on, there was kind of debates of whether Declan Gallagher got a tote. I think it's one of those challenges that even if there is a touch on the ball, he's too wild otherwise. It's wild. That's what I was thinking when I was listening to Andy Walker. I was thinking, even if he had taken the ball there, he would have absolutely ended uh, Peyton regardless. So, yeah. And, and Peyton's not getting to that ball, by the way. It's an absolutely needless challenge. So you mentioned Seedorf, right? So County had a, I've got a blank on his first name here. Is it Josh Reed? Yeah, I think you may be right, yeah. Yeah, left back. So he he started the game up against Jake Hasty. You know, you're kind of thinking, well, that might be a, a bit of a, a tough assignment for him. He handled that with relative ease, uh, played very well. Then Seedorf comes on and Seedorf just routinely absolutely skins up down the outside. And I'm wondering whether... Whether it was just the perfect move to make because you're bringing on another kind of speed star, somebody with, I don't know, maybe playing with a bit more confidence because Hasty certainly didn't look like he, he had much about him. And maybe you're just catching the young player at the, the wrong time. Or, or on the other hand, it's just like, I'm thinking, is he, is he actually any good? Or was Jake Hasty just rubbish? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I think he, up until that point as well, he showed a lot of nice touches on the ball as well and not just as a defensive player so he looked like he was all round he had like good attributes to his game um, you're right he was run ragged a bit when Seedorf came on um, and he was helped out a lot by Ross Stewart the amount of times Ross Stewart was in his left back position helping out not just Reed, but the, the entire county team was uh, was sensational I mean I know it's easy sometimes to pick a goal scorer uh, as man of the match but he just happened to be the man of the match as well as the only goal scorer uh, on the day because he was uh, he was excellent yeah yeah like you say about the amount of work that both of them were doing getting back but yeah also the the kind of first you know 20 minutes half an hour or so would county kind of won the game and then when they were properly on top they he was just at the heart of everything that they did as well just a constant nuisance just that he's not only his frame but also the fact he's got a decent touch on him as well and I mean very one of the few bright spots you could maybe say for Mother was seeing that uh, Trevor Carson pull uh, one of his classic saves out of the bag to, to deny Stewart um, while the game was still nil-nil 
uh, brilliant reactions and just good to see him back playing in general. It's his first match, first competitive match of, of any description since he was diagnosed with uh, deep vein thrombosis. Yeah, it was an unbelievable save. It really was. I couldn't believe how good it was. I, I didn't realise he had saved it the first time um, it, on first viewing. I, th- I think it wasn't until the commentator had mentioned that uh, it was a save and then noticed it in the replay. But yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic save. I know it's cliche to do this kind of thing at this point of the season, but it, it, it is one of the saves of the season. It will be one of the saves of the season coming in. Undoubtedly. So for County, I mean, massive positive to take out of this because this is a team that's defence last season was freaking rubbish. And they brought up the graphic during the game that they were far and away the team with the most conceded goals for set pieces last season. I'm fairly certain that Motherwell were one of the best teams scoring for set pieces the last campaign. Yeah. So, and they had a number. I mean, there's even kind of the periods earlier on where, where County were the better side, Motherwell were still getting set piece opportunities. So to have to defend as many as they did without. I mean, Motherwell only had one attempt on target the entire game. I mean, that's it's a great job for the for the backline. You know, Donaldson's daftness for the penalty aside. Yeah, um, and not just from set pieces, but from open play as well. The amount of forward options that Motherwell displayed during this match um, showed you, and and how good they were last season. There's a lot of firepower in that in that. Uh, Motherwell team and the amount of sustained pressure they were under for pretty much that entire second half. It it really will be a huge, uh, I was going to use the word achievement, that's not really the word I'm looking for, but um, given, like you say, the state of their defence last season, the win will be, it'll be just as important to them, the clean sheet, I think, as the the win. Right, so let's uh, move on to the final game that uh, is last and certainly not least is the champion Celtic opening their uh, account for the new season with a 5-1 home win over Hamilton Ackies. Can I feel bad for Celtic being last in the show? <laughs> like, we've done, maybe done it before. Like, so the reason was that I just, like, selected people in times. So I said, right, Craig Kerr, you, you, like, this game and this game. So, yeah. and I was kind of thinking at the time, one main reason was that you're off on Sunday, so I know you get the chance to, to see Celtic's game because it was on Sunday and it was on Sky. But also, I kind of thinking like, oh, I can see how this one's going to go. You know, Celtic are going to win three or four nil. They're really going to leave second gear. Hamilton are just going to stick as many people behind the ball as possible until they concede a goal, and then continue to do so until they concede more goals. And it's just going to be a lot of crap with nothing really to talk about. And instead, Celtic were really, really good, <laughs> and they maybe should have been talked about earlier. But uh, we're still feeling our way around this new setup. So, apologies, Celtic fans. Uh, you're blistering start to the new season has been relegated to like where we're now like 123rd minute of this podcast or something <laughs> so there we go it's as if we don't annoy Celtic fans enough but yes they were they were excellent on Sunday and Edward um, especially and I know by the time people listen to this it will probably will have been done to death but um, yeah he was just absolutely sensational I'm glad I put my uh, flag in the camp of Edwards as the better player between him and Morelos because he fucking definitely is far and away <laughs> better than Morelos that small tear just escaped Joel Sked's eye as he listens to this <laughs> yeah I mean there is no doubt and I mean it's already kind of I don't want to overreact to one game, but it's not just one game. It's going back to last season and just 2020 in general that Celtic just still look like they're a cut above in terms of Rangers. And it, it just it seems to me that if Rangers want to to be in this title race, I still have I still have um, belief in Rangers that they can beat Celtic. I think Gerard's shown that 
he, he can uh, make things difficult for Phil Nicolena and more than maybe you know Celtic fans would wish can considering the success that Celtic have had over the last you know previous three you know four seasons and no, well, previous nine seasons but you know what I mean like when they've been completely dominant and when you kind of look at the, the talent available side Celtic do have a stronger squad and a, a stronger starting 11 when they play each other Gerrard sometimes can um, get the tactics a bit more spot on than, than Lennon can so they've got that, that opportunity but they really I think in terms of the rest of the games they just have to be they just have to, have to hope to be consistent and, and get themselves into that opportunity because I can't see them blown away as many teams this campaign as Celtic will. Yeah, and there's still question marks over too many individuals in the Rangers team as well. I know we're not here to talk about Rangers at, at this point, but yeah, uh, comparing the two teams, yeah, you, you just look at how many options they have. Even somebody like Christie on Sunday there, not one of his better games for Celtic, but he, he was still, he was still like, brilliant. he was just like quietly brilliant. There was other players that outshone him on the day, but he was just kind of like quietly brilliant in there and yeah and whereas you look at Rangers and you're you're still wondering whether Hadji is going to be consistent across the season now if he was like long term at Rangers it looks like he could be a fantastic player but is he going to just like in his first full season is he just going to like hit the ground running and be yeah. a, that could be consistent across the season but against Hamilton but you just you just look at the amount of times they just cut them open and the Forrest Forrest is no longer a winger Forrest is an inside forward that can just play he can just move over to the left at the and play on the inside uh, left channel and be just as good I mean he, he, he almost scored from, from over there as well and yeah they just look like a, a devastating team again this season and one, that's why that's why <laughs> that's why sorry what did you say there just in one game, and he says, <laughs> "That's why, um, that's why Frank Pong's such a big player for them in domestic football." I think in the, the European stage, they'll still look to use uh, El Hamid uh, quite a lot because he's a more kind of solid defender, and th- that side of the game will be something that they'll need to to look after a bit more. But in terms of playing against most teams in the Scottish top flight, having Frank Pong going down the outside uh, with the terrifying nature of his running ability his pace and running ability and how he can get into the box and make things happen and score goals <laughs> for a for a young uh, undersized fullback is incredible and it means that Forrest can just play inside now so they've they've now kind of fully evolved as a team from when Rogers was in charge when it was kind of Forrest was almost a wing back now he's as you see he's kind of an inside forward and Frimpong is now the wing back because and Taylor's a wing back on their side, so they've and Brown kind of does that kind of can drop deep kind of thing, so that can keep their defensive solidity. And Taylor's another one. If Taylor can continue to play like that, then that also gives Celtic another dimension because he, I mean, you always get Craig Anderson and, and Scott in the chat, uh, kind of bristling a little bit any time like Greg Taylor's uh, abilities going forward are questioned, but. I mean, he still, he, like, towards the end of last season, he, he definitely made himself the number one left-back, and deservedly so, over Bo and Goalie. But you could still see some games where he would struggle going forward. He just doesn't quite... I think, compared to the rest of his teammates, he's not quite on that level in terms of an attacker, in terms of all the players in the attack and final third. But he's still young. He can still work on his game. He's never been bad going forward. He's just not been quite at that level. But if he can rise to that level, and we've seen various Celtic players make tremendous strides over recent seasons, so there's no reason why Taylor can't do it as well, then that will just be completely 
Like, I mean, how do you deal with them after that? If you've got, if you've got both fullbacks just being absolutely terrifying amongst the plethora of other players they have, with two centre-backs as well who can step out with the ball at their feet, literally, how do you stop them? I know, I know. You just can't see it. You just can't see it. Um, I, was, I was surprised to hear Ball and Golly. Um, there was, there was like things being said over pre-season that it seems like his days are numbered, that Celtic, it sounds like they're, they're not really as happy with his progress as they as they thought they would be. It's because it's pish. Uh, I thought, yeah, had, he not, had he not come on to a bit of a game uh, <laughs> after a really kind of shaky start, had he not come on to a bit of a game last year? He, was, he, was, he, was he had he a shaky injured. start and then he came on a game and then he was pish again. <laughs> got injured in some, at some point in there as well, I think. Yeah. In fact, I think I've seen Celtic fans flippantly say that he's only had one good game and that was uh, away to Rangers. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Because uh, he, did, uh, he did have some decent games in Europe as well, but that's just... There's always just a kind of uh, bomb scarish quality to him. Even when he's playing all right, he doesn't seem to be quite the most switched on defensively. His uh, movement is a bit weird. He always kind of wants to drift inside, which I don't think that's what Celtic want for their left back, especially when typically he's going to have somebody like El Unice playing ahead of him who's going to want to kind of attack the middle as well. And yeah, I, I can understand why they're not too happy. And I don't think he's, he's proved to be that good a signing. Somebody might prove to be all right. Is it it Patrick? Just his first name, Patrick Clamalla? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Patrick, yeah. Yeah, and he came off the bench, scored a nice goal, and that's just going to kind of intensify kind of talk of Lee Griffith's future at the club, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And he looked like the type of striker that could... um, He wants to run in behind. I I know that's where he got his goal from. You could see that that's what he was uh, trying to do at first when he came on, he was looking for those kind of passes. He wasn't even on the pitch for for, for that long. But there was a couple of times where you saw he was kind of dropping in a little bit and um, he didn't look comfortable. He certainly didn't look as much of a presence as Edouard is and who, who, is, who is in Scottish football, really. But um, yeah, apparently during pre-season, he's managed to bulk up because um, he came, came in quite slight. So over the last six months, he's managed to bulk up and he still managed to keep his pace apparently and he, he displayed that for the for the goal although Jamie Hamilton he's a bit of a he's a, he's a highly rated young centre back but he always he always seems to be a bit of a disaster just <laughs> everything just seems to stand out that he just seems to be like this walking disaster d- despite his um, obvious talents people keep talking about how uh, how highly rated and how uh, how good a young defender he is yeah, this is this must be like some sort of uh, you know tutorials for the school of hard knocks. He's just like you just you make your mistakes. You're going to make them every single week until you don't do it anymore. It's just yeah. like crying at the back. Yeah, he's got like the the red card ratio of like a prolific striker has goals. You know what I mean? The games <laughs> <laughs> one every four games or something. Actually, that's quite a shite striker, isn't it? We should probably say something on Aki's. Um, they. Surprisingly, considering how they played last season, they went to Celtic Park and had a go. And I wonder if this is Brian Rice going back again. Let's go back. Let's forget about pragmatism. Let's go back to attacking football because he lined up four four two. They did have a go at Celtic. They obviously got cut open several times, but they you could you must only assume this is what he's got planned to play against other teams because otherwise, why the hell go to Celtic Park and <laughs> try and attack? Yeah, they they did well to exploit the spaces that Celtic were were leaving in their defence. Um, Celtic were actually a little bit shaky a couple of times in defence, but I mean it's very early in the season. Every 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 one of these teams is going to be 
rusty at this point still uh, to a certain extent. But yeah, they've, they look like they could get something out of their attackers this season, which they have done in previous years as well. Ogunpo didn't have... He looked like a clogger when he came on, let's be honest, but um, he's shown that he can contribute during the season. Uh, Moyo looks like he's got something about him. He, he looks like he's got like physical attributes at least, and he will, he, he will produce a few things. over. He looks like the kind of guy that will have a few moments of magic over the course of the season. I think. He's, he's, a, he's an awkward customer. Yeah, definitely. And then they've got... Um, a couple of young guys who, okay, you don't want to hang your hat on them, the, the kind of trio that started uh, up with uh, Moyo. You, don't, you maybe don't want to rely on them for a relegation battle or anything, but you're going to get something out of them again. Uh, Smith's already proven that. There's a lot being said about Winter. Uh, and the goalkeeper looked decent, to be fair to him. He had a decent game. Uh, his kicking was good, and he made a number of really good saves to keep the score down. It's everywhere in between that. The centre of the midfield and the back four just really don't look very good. Um, uh, Who was the centre midfield? Was it Scott Martin and uh, Ross Callaghan? Callaghan. And Trafford came on after. Trafford came on and was just fouling people, to be fair. And I'm sure these guys will obviously get more of a chance against um, teams that are closer to their level. But still, I'd be worried about Aki's given that that defence and centre midfield to be honest yeah with Callaghan and I can kind of see what they're going for Callaghan and Martin two guys that will work very hard and when they do get the ball they can guys who can kind of charge forward as well uh, but yeah not a lot of kind of guile there not a lot of passing ability and yeah, yeah again I wait to Celtic I can kind of see why they went for them but I think you'd typically prefer to just have one of them and somebody who can maybe get their foot on the ball a little bit more and then that kind of accentuates the energy and dynamism that guys like Martin and Callahan can bring to a team. Um, so they'll be interested to see if they do kind of uh, swap on anybody else going forward. I've tried to think off the top of my head. I've not really seen enough Inverness to know what Charlie Trafford, Trafford's really like. Um, and if he's just yeah, kicking people, then I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that, no, I'd imagine that they, they will have I mean, uh, David Templeton, was he... He wasn't on the bench, was he? He must be injured. He's always injured. I'm just assuming he's injured. <laughs> I could look it up quickly. I mean, the, the thing is, with this uh, new nine substitutes, um, if, you don't make the, if you don't make the bench, then you'd either <laughs> injured or shite. <laughs> you'd either injured no, or... That's basically everybody in the squad. Everybody notable, notable that's available is is on either, at least on the bench if you're not you're shite so I mean I mean even, even if you're shite you probably, even if you're shite you probably get a place on the bench you're only missing out of the bench if you're injured or they're wanting to force you out of the club yeah that, that yeah <laughs> you're either injured or you're Florian Camberry at Hibs uh, according to this Templeton was not on the bench so he must be injured uh, you got there quicker than me uh, yeah they only, they only made three of their subs <laughs> it's quite interesting when teams doing that now so Celtic made four I kind of got confused a little in the Motherwell game because uh, when Tory Watt came on I was like have they not made three subs and I was like I know they're only the fourth but I thought you had to make two at the same time but then I realised it's only it's stoppages so since one of them had come on at half time that didn't count ah okay oh see I didn't even clock that either right I didn't even think about that I didn't even consider it right I'm going to double check that just in case I've got that completely wrong and they only made three the subs is- that I can't count See the Celtic triple substitution. See, by the time it took them to do that, you may as well just allow another stoppage. <laughs> <laughs> that took ages. 
Yes, I'm right. Motherwell did make four subs. Both teams made four subs in the, game, the other game, but uh, County done the last two at the same time, so that was how that counted as well. Yeah, that's going to go. We just a touch of getting used to. It's yeah. funny. I think somebody says it in the chat. A manager will um, forget about that and go mental that he can't make a late sub because he's already stopped the game three times before. Yeah, he'll be saving one for uh, injury time to time waste <laughs> and forget. Right, is there anything else more we can say about Celtic and Hamilton? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I think we covered. It. Oh, um, Christopher Julian's pro evil volleys. The fuck, were they about? I didn't even see that. You don't see that from the corners. Like Christie was just chipping corners to the back post, and um, Julian was volleying them. He had two. One of them came off the post. Oh well, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't see that in the highlights. Yeah, I forgot about that move in pro evil. I'm used to playing the recent FIFA now, where you can't um, score a corner for love nor money. Or defend. Does that speak? I'm slightly scared. better at defending. Better at defending, isn't it? Um, so noticed, bad I don't play it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing you can score for corners if you do a short corner and then try to do something around that. But uh, just whip it in, to me, it's just pointless. Anyway, I think we're going to run out of things to say now. We've just started talking about FIFA techniques. Oh. <laughs> Right, uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed the kind of new setup we've got going on here. Please uh, be sure to tell us a bit. The easiest way to do so is twitter.com forward slash terrace podcast and make sure to check out the Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast for this episode of the Patreon to be going up alongside this episode. It's myself and Tony uh, talking about how we felt that the new sports scene. Uh, was this weekend, the, the two shows, one on the Saturday, one on the Sunday, and also what Sky's coverage was like as they've now entered their season where they've got exclusive rights to the live games in the top flight. You know it's a new season when Sky remind us that they still haven't quite got to grips with the difference between Dundee and Dundee United. <laughs> I missed this. When did this happen? The graphic. The graphic, the opening, the opening thing, the first thing they showed, um, the Dundee United graphic had... I think this is correct. Uh, I had the wrong uh, year that they were founded. I had Dundee's year and I had Dens Park as well, I think. <laughs> I saw that they were given, uh, given a stick by Dave Black, who worked for Livingston, because they're using an outdated version. Or, I don't know if it, oh, no, it might actually be BBC. Yeah. Yeah, using an outdated version of the Livingston badge. A lot of people getting upset about badges. Anyway, that's, a, that's enough of us. <laughs> right. Cheers, Craig. Cheers. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.